This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. I'm Tom Young at the National Press Club in Washington. The Committee to Protect Journalists is a nonprofit organization that promotes press freedom around the world. The New York based group's mission statement says it defends the right of journalists to report safely and without fear of reprisal. By some accounts, reporting safely and without fear is getting harder to do. That's why CPJ is calling on President Biden to take a stand on behalf of press freedom, both at home and abroad. Joining me on the line is CPJ's Advocacy Director, Dr. Courtney Ratch. Uh, Courtney is also a member of the Press Club's Press Freedom Committee. Thanks for uh, taking the time to speak with us, Courtney. My pleasure. Thanks so much for covering this topic. Sure. Uh, First of all, what steps would you like to see from President Biden? Thanks. Well, this is the, the excellent question because I think that the Biden administration has an opportunity to restore U.S. press freedom leadership after a real abdication of this role over the past several years. So we are calling on the Biden administration to do a, a handful of things. Chief among those would be a major speech in support of press freedom from President Biden. This would allow him an opportunity to articulate the importance of press freedom in U.S. foreign policy and uh, recognize the critical role that journalists play in providing accurate, timely, trusted information at a time when it's never been more important. So in addition to that, we're looking at some more structural recommendations. One is to strengthen the State Department's support for press freedom. It has really been eviscerated over the past few years, and we need to see this rebuilt and to send a directive to U.S. embassies around the world that defensive press freedom is a foreign policy priority. We'd also like to see the appointment of a special representative, or sorry, a special presidential envoy for press freedom. So we would like to see President Biden immediately appoint a high-profile journalist, press freedom advocate as a special presidential envoy for press freedom who would report directly to the Secretary of State and be empowered to speak out about violations around the world. And we would see this as a limited-term appointment so that it could really be a transitional role for two years until the State Department has really rebuilt its capacity to play its historic role. In addition, we'd like to see the United States rejoin the Human Rights Council, restore its membership and funding to UNESCO, and support the Special Rapporteurs on Freedom of Expression at regional multilateral bodies like the OSCE and the United Nations. And of course, we would be remiss if we were not focused on the importance of ensuring the independence of U.S. government-funded media like Voice of America, Radio Free Asia, and Radio Free Europe, and Radio Liberty, which have been a source of credible news and information for generations. So we hope that if you know he would take on board a few of these recommendations, this would strengthen and support press freedom domestically and set an example for the world when it sorely needs one. I see. The CPJ's white paper says the U.S. has traditionally stood for press freedom. And as you alluded to uh, a moment ago, uh, the white paper also says the Trump administration has taken a different approach. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that background? Why is it so important for President Biden to do this now? 
Sure. The past four years have really been a dark spot for press freedom and journalism generally in the United States and around the world, in part and in large part due to the constant vitriol and anti-press rhetoric emanating from the president of the United States and on down through the ranks of government. This has had a really profoundly negative impact on uh, the role of journalists around the world and the um, use by authoritarian regimes and by democratically elected governors around the world who have pilloried the media, who have delegitimized the very concept of fact and fact-based journalism, undermined its importance in democratic processes, and sought to delegitimize journalism by labeling it fake news, uh, pillaring journalists by calling them fake news and enemies of the people. And this is very dangerous, not just rhetorically, but because it has also resulted in a rise in the number of journalists who are imprisoned on false news charges and on the adoption of legislation around the world that is ostensibly designed to stave off fake news, but is in fact typically used to repress independent reporting. Now, we're not saying, of course, that this is attributable to President Trump. China, Russia, et cetera, are more than happy to use the cover of American rhetoric as an excuse for their own repressive tactics. But we have seen a direct correlation between that rhetoric and the legitimization of it by governments around the world. I mean, Egypt loves to imprison journalists on false news charges and has gotten a free pass. We also need to see some you know, resolution to Jamal Khashoggi's assassination by Saudi Arabia and the failure of the United States administration to hold the Saudi officials accountable. Um, this has really sent a very chilling signal around the world. It, it's hard to overstate that, but, you know, as a journalist myself who used to work in uh, the Gulf for a Saudi-owned newspaper, I speak both from personal experience as well as from the experience of so many journalists that we talk to, that the failure to um, hold Saudi Arabia accountable has had a, a long-term chilling impact and sent a, a, a real strong signal around the world that the United States is not going to stand up for its journalists or, or other journalists around the world. So the Biden administration needs to come in strong and change this initial, you know, do something at the outset of his administration to change the trajectory. Otherwise, I think we have real concerns about what this is going to mean for journalists and press freedom in the United States, where we have seen historic levels of press freedom violations, and around the world, where again, we have seen more journalists imprisoned than ever before, and a doubling of journalists murdered this year. Speaking of the danger to journalists in other countries, just last month, Iran hanged a journalist. And also in December, a reporter in Afghanistan was shot to death, and I could list more. A CPJ report says in 2020, the number of journalists killed in retaliation for their work more than doubled. Uh, do you feel press freedom is eroding around the world uh, more now than, say, 10 or 20 years ago? Well, that's hard to say because we saw a very detrimental impact from the war on terror on journalism around the world. Because what happened with that is that we saw that anti-terrorism became used as an excuse to restrict uh, and, and prevent independent reporting and retaliate against uh, critical journalists. 
we actually see that anti-terrorism charges and anti-state charges continue to be the most common um, charge used to imprison journalists. So it's hard to say that it's worse because we also saw the Iraq wars and the Syrian wars uh, result in a lot of journalists who lost their lives, uh, both in crossfire because it was a dangerous assignment, um, as well as because of retaliatory murders. However, what is new about this period and what does raise serious concerns is that the global health crisis, the coronavirus pandemic, has provided a, you know, seemingly legitimate excuse to restrict the free flow of information, to crack down on reporting that does not comport with the official narrative of events, and to retaliate against critical reporters. And the fact is, is there's a lot to criticize in many countries about government responses, and, and a lot of authorities don't appreciate that. And the problem is that once you adopt legislation or you put in place um, extensive surveillance apparatus that is ostensibly designed to combat the spread of a, of a virus, that can easily be co-opted for other purposes, and it's very difficult to undo legislation once it's put in place. So I'm afraid that we're going to see uh, you know, an ongoing long-term impact uh, from this year, which again, has led to historic numbers of journalists being being jailed. And we see that journalists, again, um, typically over the past several decades that we've been you know, counting these things and, and, and gathering these statistics, uh, murders of journalists typically make up about two-thirds of the journalists killed every year. And after a, a blip last year, um, we're back to those levels again. So that is you know, really concerning. One of the recommendations to President Biden that you mentioned earlier involved appointing a special presidential envoy for press freedom. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What kind of person would make a good candidate for that, and and what would that position entail? Well, I think in order to have a an envoy that would have the you know the umph that that, that person would need as both a direct report you know to the Department of to the Secretary of State. And as the president's envoy, it would need to be a high-level, well-respected journalist, um, ideally somebody, uh, an American journalist, somebody with press freedom credentials. And that person would really play a critical role to helping identify where the president and secretary of state um, could make a difference by turning their attention um, they could become, you know, the president's champion on behalf of reporters who are under threat, maybe uh, attending trials, showing that the administration is watching. I mean, one great example of this for, is Maria Rasa, who is the Filipino-American editor and founder of Rappler, which is a Filipino news site that is one of their most important news, news organizations in the country. And she is under serious legal threats there and travel restrictions, and yet we have seen very little done, being done by the administration to stand up for an American citizen, much less for any other sort of um, journalists who are under threat. So I think we'd want to see this special envoy be appointed for two years and play a role in really putting press freedom at the top of the agenda, 
speaking out forcefully, but also doing more than just speaking out, but also attending trials, putting that on the agenda, putting this into the diplomatic relations with other countries, and making sure that anyone who is pursuing the truth and is imprisoned or killed in retaliation for their work knows that the United States stands behind them and will not let their killers or imprisoners go free. Well, speaking of standing behind reporters, as the CPJ statement has mentioned, uh, a number of American reporters have been imprisoned or taken hostage uh, overseas in recent years. Can you tell us a little bit more about those cases and what you'd like to see the Biden administration do about that? American journalists are increasingly at risk in countries where they feel that the United States is no longer a defender of press freedom and that they are not going to stand up for um, for their rights. Uh, we've seen this, for example, in the tit for chat retaliation with China, um, the expulsion of journalists there in the wake of the coronavirus or, or during the coronavirus. Of course, it's still happening. Um, the you know the the expulsion of journalists from those countries, the continued danger that journalists face, um, for example, critical reporting in Egypt, um, in Turkey, which can land those journalists in jail. We want to see the U.S. assume a critical role in defending press freedom and defending especially their citizens abroad. And again, I think Maria Ressa is a perfect example of where she's facing extreme legal threats by pre- from you know President Duterte and his uh, his apparatus, and yet we've seen you know a real failure to hold that administration accountable by the President of the United States or by the United States. We you know I think there's a lot more that could be done, and part of that is the President needs to speak with a legitimate authority. And if you're denigrating the press as enemy of the people and fake news, you know, and 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 on Twitter every other day then it's not going to be taken seriously. So it's not only about, you know, the rhetorical standing up on their behalf, but actually putting that into meaningful action. The statement from Committee to Protect Journalists makes a particular mention of U.S. government-funded media, and they include Voice of America, Radio Free Asia, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Bring us up to date on what's been happening with those media and what you'd like President Biden to do about it. Well, unfortunately, the credibility and and independence of those media have been undermined by recent efforts to undermine their independence um, through the appointment of a political appointee that was pushed through Congress without, you know, in our opinion, sufficient oversight and, you know, coming in, firing the heads of all of the independent news organizations or or compelling them to, to resign early. Uh, restricting the independence and and funding decisions for the Open Technology Fund, uh, preventing the renewal of visas for many of the reporters at the Voice of America. I mean, this has profound repercussions that will have a long-term impact. And so restoring the independence and the editorial firewall that has existed at the U.S. Agency for Global Media organizations, Voice of America, Radio Free Liberty, et cetera, is really critical. Many of the journalists who work for those stations were actually journalists in their home country, or they are currently based there, and are among some of the journalists that we at the Committee to Protect Journalists are advocating for on a regular basis because they're under such threat 
they're working in local languages, they're on the front lines, or they've been forced into exile or, you know, decided to leave their country because they wanted to avoid any sort of threats. And they've been able to continue working as journalists by working in their local languages for, for those outlets. So the fact that, you know, a, that they would decide not to renew their visas not only eviscerates those services of really important reporters and local knowledge and language, it also could put them at risk by sending them back to their home countries. So there's a lot that needs to be done with the U.S. Agency for Global Media and its attendant services. Um, in many countries, these are the only independent media um, or alternative information that, that local populations have access to. And I would also add that the Open Technology Fund has provided very important tools, anti-circumvention or circumvention technology, anti-censorship technologies that these reporters and the reporters we help around the world depend on for their secure communications. The Committee to Protect Journalists' recommendations uh, note that misinformation and online harassment have polluted the political environment. But there are some who would say, if you fact-check me or if you block my post, you've you've interfered with my freedom of expression. And now that we're in a world where a lot of media, certainly a lot of social media, don't have gatekeepers, how do we walk that line between promoting free speech and yet calling out disinformation? Well... First off, let's be clear that when we talk about online harassment and disinformation, what we're talking about, what we see around the world happening to reporters, is not that somebody didn't like their article. It's more likely that they created a doctored photo or video of some woman journalist and put her head on a naked body or you know, threatened her with rape, threatened her children, followed her to work, um, it is more likely that they shared the personal information through doxing of a reporter working on a story that they didn't like or covering a story that they didn't like. So, you know, we say online harassment, but that is a term that really kind of obfuscates a lot of the very threatening and coordinated action behind a lot of online harassment. Furthermore, much of the disinformation online harassment that we see targeted at journalists is state-sponsored or state-sanctioned online harassment and disinformation campaigns. You can see this in Brazil, in Philippines, in Russia, um, even in the United States. And, you know, the Oxford Internet Institute has done a study showing that 70 countries around the world have, you know, information operations uh, along these lines. So it's really a challenging environment that journalists are trying to work in. Meanwhile, they're working on platforms that, it's very hard to kind of get out that straightforward news, right? Because it's all about engagement and visibility. Um, so, you know, they're trying to just do their jobs in this very challenging environment. So I think that we need to be realistic about what we are talking about when we talk about online harassment and that, you know, we all have a responsibility to ensure that journalists are able to do their jobs because that is in the public interest. You know, whether somebody decides to block you or reduce the visibility of your expression towards them, um, you know, is their personal decision. I think when we're talking about legislative or regulatory issues, that then becomes a different dimension or how the platforms address that. But, you know, we do recommend to, to journalists that they should consider muting or, you know, stop it, you know, don't read the comments because there is also a lot of psychosocial trauma that can happen from online harassment. Yes, absolutely. 
The last recommendation in the CPJ's white paper calls on the Biden administration to improve press freedom here at home and by doing that to set an example for the world. Uh, Are there any other specific ways uh, that we haven't discussed yet that Biden can do that? I think that this is about um, a regular and sustained commitment to supporting press freedom domestically and around the world. So first off, we saw a year in which there were unprecedented levels of violence in you know modern history against reporters. We have seen journalists targeted during protests before in Ferguson, you know, during Occupy Wall Street, but not on the level that we saw this summer and the amount of targeted harassment and attacks from law enforcement, including at least 200 arrests of journalists, including um, the use of projectiles aimed at journalists, even those who are wearing, who are clearly identified as journalists are wearing identifiable um, information. So, you know, we need to see clear condemnation and holding to account in the domestic um, venue. And then we need to make sure that he rolls back these DHS and CBP um, guidelines that have enabled both under the, the Obama administration and the Trump administration have enabled the surveillance of reporters and the seizure of their devices at borders. Under the Obama administration, we saw this targeting reporters who were working on terrorism. Under the Trump administration, on, on reporters who were working on immigration and covering the, the, the caravan. So we need to roll roll that back, make sure there are clear guidelines in place that protect the ability of journalists to cross international borders safely and securely without compromising their sources. Um, Let's see a pledge that he's never going to use the Espionage Act to prosecute journalists or whistleblowers. You know, that was a trend that the Obama administration set uh, and that the Trump administration ran with. So there are a lot that he can do, that he should and can do. We should see more, um, uh, a more robust commitment to freedom of information requests and making those more transparent and easy to access. And, and let's see less classification of information just to make that more available to reporters and the public. So there's a lot that he can do. Obviously, he has a large agenda, but, you know, he has already set a couple of things as his top priority including um, a a task force on online harassment. And as part of that task force, we should absolutely see a focus be made um, on journalists and especially women journalists and how that needs to be part of the conversation. Um, So we would like to see that as well. well. Thanks so much for your time, Courtney. We've been talking with the advocacy director for the Committee to Protect Journalists, Dr. Courtney Ratch. I'm Tom Young, reporting for Update One from the National Press Club in Washington. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.